0: Okay, today we continue on the Love Strong uh, series. The weakness of God is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And today we're going to look at a story where Jesus is at the bar, uh, so to speak. Uh, I'll get more into that in a second. We live in weird times. You know, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention just a couple weeks ago in their, um, one of their large meetings uh, voted to disfellowship a handful of churches kicked them out of their denomination entirely because they had women as pastors. Fascinating. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, started over the issue of slavery. There was a vote uh, to determine uh, is it okay or not okay for missionaries to own slaves? That was the question on the table. (laughs) It seems so crazy now. But those who said, yes, it's okay for missionaries and pastors and other people to own slave, that became the Southern Baptist Convention. The Northern Baptist Convention uh, felt differently, and that eventually became the American Baptist tradition, which we are a part of. But isn't it interesting that in today's society, uh, still holding on to this idea um, that women are not equal uh, to men. And I know where they come at it uh, from their Biblical understanding and things, but it's confounding to me. And as we are moving into this women's celebration month of March, we're going to look at a story of a woman uh, in just a moment. Uh, Just seems like just so, I don't know, uh, out of tune uh, with the rest of everything that's going on. But it's not the only picture of this kind of wanting to go back or to to stay back in a yesteryear kind of a thing. There's a phrase, it ain't as good as it used to be, and it never was. It never was. And yet there are voices that want to take us back, globally even. Uh, The president of Hungary uh, spoke in the United States a few months ago, uh, speaking about some of the changes uh, he's tried to make uh, in his country really dialing back a lot of uh, social issues and fairness, Uh, kind of pushing women uh, down uh, inequality, uh, LGBTQ rights stripped, not even allowed to be talked about or mentioned, Uh, not really embracing um, people of other cultures or ethnicity, uh, but wanting to ratchet it up to protect whatever flavor uh, the Hungarians uh, wanted to espouse. And while it might seem nuts to us, like why would you do that, You know, it is a constant thing that we're pressured with. These are systems at play. And those systems of old are comforting to us. They they remind us of the way things were, where we understood things at least. They may not have been equitable, but there's a part of us that's like, oh, yeah, we just want to go back to the way things were because change is difficult. As we went through the whole Martha Beck series, change is difficult. Well, when we enter this story of Jesus today uh, from the Gospel of John, Uh, He lived under the same kind of tyranny of unchanging realities and systems. So there was a deeply embedded uh, conflict between uh, the Jewish people uh, in the north and south of Israel and the sort of Jewish people uh, in the middle of the country. This is the geography, just so you can see it. on both sides, they're the same, uh, same space, basically. You just have an a exploded out view on the left a little bit more. This is ancient Israel. And on the coastline there, up in the north, that's Galilee. Uh, you can maybe make that out. Uh, that was definitely a part of Israel. Then you had Samaria in the middle, and then you had Judea in the south. So that's what it was kind of like in the time of Jesus. And those other uh, regions to the right of the what is the Jordan River, um, those were not part of Israel. <coughs> Then on the right side, uh, you can see um, a little bit more uh, detail. Well, I can see a little more detail. You can't wherever you are, but I can see it. And what I want you to notice here is that you have uh, Jerusalem in the south, kind of the capital city there. And the kind of lake-looking thing up at the top, that's where Jesus did most of his ministry. Oh, wow, look at that. My finger has a laser in it. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> it's a miracle. I mean, wow. All right, so what we're going to see here is that most people, when they were in Jerusalem for a festival or whatever, they would take that that red path that road around the side to the to the right or the east of the Jordan River to get back up north even though it was a longer path uh, than getting right through uh, the center of what is called Samaria if you can see that on the other side because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans so It's Just important context for you to know and many of you've heard me talk on this story before and I hope there's something new and fresh for you uh, today as we look at this because we're talking about the story of the woman at the well in Samaria. And it is a deeply profound, eye-opening, women-affirming story that we need to look at. So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to walk you through kind of slowly, point some things out, and see if anything uh, resonates with you today so this is uh, John chapter 4 last week we looked at John chapter 3 the story of Nicodemus and all that and some other things happened. and then we land here Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John though the author of this gospel says Jesus himself didn't baptize his disciples did so he left Judea and return to Galilee so he's in the south what I showed you before in Jerusalem he's got to get all the way back to his homeland in the north now this is the interesting phrase that he says he had to go through Samaria on the way he had to go through Samaria on the way in fact he did not have to go through Samaria on the way in fact most people did not and would not go through Samaria on the way back to Galilee So we're getting something really powerful here once we get a look at the map. Jesus is saying something of import. He had to go through Samaria, not because the road was washed out because they got too many uh, Pineapple Express rain showers, you know, he had to go through there for another reason because he had a redemptive idea. He knew that he was going into an area that was hostile, that he had some attitude about probably growing up, but he knew that what God was wanting to do in the world was really wooing him, forcing him to go through Samaria, not around it. Not gonna skirt around the problems. Not gonna pretend they're not there. We're gonna go right into the issue. That's really important for us to see. This is Jesus we're talking about. This isn't just some Jesus follower we can blow off. This is Jesus, the one we claim to follow had to go through it, into it, into the belly of the beast to deal with what was there. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sikr, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So when you read these names, uh, some of you are pretty familiar with um, the larger biblical narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when you hear these names of Jacob and Joseph, you know we are talking patriarchs here. Some serious faith action in the Jewish ancestry was happening right at this same spot. At a well, at a place that gives water, refreshment, nourishment. What is needed for life is right there. And the ancients and the Jewish tradition had had walking in those same sacred places long ago. And it's noon time, it's the heat of the day. Uh, We're gonna find out later that Jesus sent the guys to Jack in the Box to get some food and come back later and Jesus hung out by the well all by himself. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now this is a weird thing just to stop you right away because you don't go get water during the hottest part of the day. If you're a woman, <clears throat> you're probably going to go with other women before dawn because it's not hot. And you're going to need water later in the day. So you go early in the day, not in the hot part of the day. So that's odd that she's there at the wrong time. And it's odd that she's not there with other women. It's just her. That tells us something. Another nod for us to be paying attention Why is she there alone? Why is she there at the wrong time? And then Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. See, I told you, jack in the box. But what you want to notice here, um, and this again uh, to our modern eyes, unless we have a little bit of help researching this, we don't recognize the major foul that Jesus is making here. Um, Back in that day and age, men and women didn't really talk to each other publicly like this. Add another layer. A Jewish man would never speak to a Samaritan woman like this, never ask for anything. Another layer. A rabbi in the Jewish tradition would never speak to a woman in this way. And yet our Jesus, who had to go through Samaria for some important reason, he's the one that breaks the ice. He's the one that breaks the taboo. He's the one that says to himself, I know what all the cultural rules are, and I'm gonna break them anyway, because this needs to change. And so he starts a conversation with her. Please give me a drink. He didn't order her to give a drink. Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone in, oh, yeah, you gonna know that, <laughs> gone in to buy some food. Well, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This is way out of line. And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So kind of a weird thing to say in return, but it's got her attention. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now you see what's happening here. The woman thinks at this point that Jesus is talking about actual water in the well. Uh, This should remind you a little bit of last week where we were with Nicodemus. And Jesus says something ridiculous to Nicodemus, like, well, unless you're born again, unless you're born from above, you really can't live in this kingdom of God, which is here, present now. You've got to be born again is the famous phrase. And Nicodemus, I mean, it was like, what? That's preposterous. You have to enter into your mother's body again and be born? That's crazy. What are you talking about? Same kind of thing. So we have two people. First, we had a Jewish person in John chapter 3 who's just not getting it and not catching that it's metaphor. And now we have a non-Jewish woman from the enemy side of things that Jesus is having a conversation to, and she's also not getting it. It just helps us understand our human nature. Sometimes we don't get it so Jesus replies to her after she asks a literal interpretation type of question. says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now that eternal life, just to remind you, is not talking about uh, heaven when you die. It's not once you taste this, then your reward then. Is that you get to go through the pearly gates. Now that's a bonus uh, that we grow an assurance of as we walk in the faith. But what Jesus is talking about here is a quality of life here and now. That there's something about what he's saying that when we taste of it and when we are refreshed by it, it gives us something that never runs out. It helps us get through every drought that we go through, every struggle that we go through. It's with us all the time because it's with us all the time. So the woman hears that and is like, yeah, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. So she's still on the literal side. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. for You've had, you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. We're not exactly sure uh, how to read this or how to understand how Jesus could have possibly picked this up. Some people say, well, you know, he's got a lot of God going on and maybe he could kind of, kind of a mentalist and could kind of read her mind or whatever. That's a possibility. Maybe there's something about her uh, that indicated, you know, some things about her past that we don't know about, we're not privy to. But definitely the gospel writers wanting us to see that Jesus knows more about her than she realizes that he knows. So she carries on. It's an interesting thing that she says, sir, the woman said. Remember, remember what she was just said? She was just called out, kind of. I don't know the tone of Jesus. Problem. was kind of like a text message. We're not exactly sure uh, what Jesus' tone was. Was he like, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Is that the tone or is it more, well, you're right. You you don't have a husband for you've you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, not in a condemnation kind of a way, Uh, but I would think being Jesus, it would be an empathetic kind of way. He's not shaming her here but he is definitely recognizing why she's been shamed by her own community. So what does she do, does she answer questions about her past and her husband's and the guy she's with now? Nope, she does a classic human thing, changes the subject and starts talking about politics, which will get them off the track. So she says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. That's how you know this stuff, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insists that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. Now, she's actually making a great point. Uh, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they kind of flip-flop, kind of like Republicans and Democrats over time, have flip-flopped different sides of things. What they are now is not necessarily what they were a generation ago and a generation before that, flipping over all over the place. So we have the same kind of thing here that in the, in the origins, the Samaritans actually were the more conservative uh, people. They wanted a, a smaller Bible, a smaller canon. They didn't really want the prophets in there. They just really wanted the law and the history books and leave the rest, all the poetical stuff and the prophetic stuff, just kind of leave that for some extra stuff somewhere. But we're not going to treat it as the holy canon, right? Whereas the other Jews from other parts were like, well, I think we should have the poetical books like the Psalms and Proverbs and I think we ought to have the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah and all those in there too. And so that was one of the dividing things that separated them but the interesting thing here is that the Samaritans to the north were actually being incredibly biblical in saying we're supposed to worship God at Mount Gerizim because in the Older Testament it clearly says this is where you're supposed to worship. (laughs) And yet the people to the south and to the north, decided on Jerusalem instead. So she has a really good point, but she knows what she's doing. She's just wanting to get the attention off of her story and onto something else so that he'll just be quiet about her shame. And Jesus replied, something she absolutely would not have expected. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father, remember the Father we're talking about here is Abba. Uh, not the potential jerky dad you may have had but we're talking about loving parents this is the frame that we have the Abba is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth the woman said I know the Messiah is coming the one who is called Christ those are the same word in Hebrew and Greek. Messiah, Hebrew, Christ, Greek. When He comes, this anointed one, that's what the word means, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. A couple of curiosities here. First thing I want you to notice on this Women's Celebration Month, Women's History Month, is that the first person, according to the Gospel of John, that Jesus told that He was the anointed one is this woman in Samaria with a past so painful that her own sisters in the community would not walk with her to get water. She is the one who is given the breaking news. Just let that sink in. (laughs) In a world where even today the church is devaluing women, Isn't it wonderful to know that the Jesus we claim to follow decided to honor this woman, the least likely person on the planet, honor her with this news. That's very significant. It's also interesting that John uh, gave us um, I AM in capital letters, however that would have looked, the Messiah. It's like Jesus is saying a combination of things here. He's really saying, Um, that the I am who is another name for God uh, I don't know that he is identifying himself that closely he didn't really like to do that uh, in his life but he's definitely saying there's a connection here between the one who is anointed and the one who does the anointing but he's admitting to her I'm the one who's been anointed to bring this message uh, to everyone well uh, she took off after this point and just then his disciples came back they were shocked to find him talking to a woman but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. That doesn't make any sense. Does it? I mean, if you've written this woman off, and she's with a guy who has been gracious enough to give her shelter because she's outlived perhaps five brothers. That's one way to think about the woman. Uh, Sometimes we immediately go to ill repute. But, you know, back in the day, according to Jewish law, if you had a bunch of brothers and, a woman marries one and then that husband dies, she marries the next and the next and the next and the next. It's possible, it's plausible uh, to at least entertain the idea that by no fault of her own, she ended up having to go through this hell. Women, can you imagine five husbands you had to live through? (laughs) Right, no thank you, right. So here you have this woman who she's had to deal with the brunt of so much pain. And finally this this guy, a benefactor, helps her out, and then she's shamed more for that. I mean, she can't win. And knowing the theology of the day who, and back in those days, they attributed so much to God cursing people, like if things were going wrong for you, it's clearly that God was not with you. So if you, we're gonna look at this next week, if you're born with some kind of a disability, it's because God wanted it that way or God was cursing your parents, or maybe your grandparents, or maybe your great-grandparents, or maybe you did something in utero that offended God so much that you're going to be born blind. No kidding, that's how they thought back then. So maybe they're looking at this woman and saying, boy, what did you do to tick off God so much that this is your life? Nobody was paying her any respect at all. Why now, (laughs) why now are they not just listening to her, but they're following her back to see Jesus? I wonder if it had something to do with what happened when she realized what was happening in her exchange with Jesus. I wonder, as she approached that well and started having this conversation, if she started to enjoy a new way of seeing herself. And she was no longer the scorned, shameful woman who should should walk alone in the heat of the day to get water as some kind of corporate cultural punishment. And now she is starting to build her life and her identity as someone who is worthy of a conversation, who is worthy of being entrusted with this incredible news. You're hearing the one who has come to, uh, to proclaim a new way of thinking, a new day just told you, and you're the first one. All of a sudden, she has shown great respect, maybe for the first time in years, and it changed her. She was born again just because Jesus chose to respect and love her because he had to go through Samaria for that purpose. Mm -hmm. To, against all the cultural norms, say, I know what my people and probably what I as a kid thought about those people, but my eyes have been opened, and we can no longer go that route. So, all the hatred that we have toward these people, we are missing the point because they're people, (laughs) they're us. And so, I have to go through Samaria to try to find a new way. And what was his way? A humble conversation, an honoring conversation. This is not him coming, you know, on a war horse saying, get in line, lady. Uh, you Samaritans are, got it way off. This is Jesus coming in weakness and humility because the weakness of God is stronger than the greatest human strength. The weakness of God brings about transformation. Faith is not about transaction. Faith is about transformation. And this woman right before our eyes was transformed so much that her own community could not see her the same way (laughs) so they all come streaming to see him meanwhile the disciples were urging Jesus rabbi eat something but Jesus replied I have a kind of food you know nothing about and did someone bring him food while we were gone the disciples asked each other then Jesus explained "No, no 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 my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work you know the saying four months between planting and harvest but I say wake up and look around the fields are already ripe for harvest so we learn here that just as Nicodemus was in the dark and was taking Jesus literally when they should have been taking him metaphorically and this woman took him literally when they she should have seen it as symbolic talk. Now the disciples are also a little bit slow on the uptake and now they're realizing oh he's not talking about burgers here he's talking about there's something deeper that's happening with him that is more satisfying than a good cheeseburger so they, they're listening to what's going on and saying, okay, we got some more to do. So he goes on, the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life, this new way of being in the world. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. Now this is the kicker, the conclusion of the story. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they, man, they begged him to stay in their village. Samaritans begged a Jewish rabbi and his followers to stay in their village. Can you imagine what this was like? the people that they hated. Now they're saying, we want you to stay with us in our own home. So he and the boys stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Love this image of the woman leaving her, her jar at the well, running back. And I love how the artist gave us sort of this aura <laughs> around her, a new way of being in the world. And I'm wondering if some of you relate to the woman. If there have been things that uh, have caused you to wonder, am I really worth anything? Does God even care? Does anybody even care? And my hunch is if you're an actual human being that at some point in your life, you absolutely resonate with this, all of you, every one of you. I would even go so far as to say that even if you are in an advanced age, like myself, (laughs) or even older, that there may be parts of your story, parts of you that are unreconciled You're still holding on to the pain that something caused you to make you wonder about your own worth. And I want you to put yourself at that well with Jesus and hear the one that we're claiming to follow, the one that we believe is anointed, the one that was doing such a good work in the world, that he's saying to you who have experienced such pain and hardship, who've been told one thing or another about yourself, And women, I'm speaking to the choir here because collectively you have been told you are less. And I want you to hear the voice of Jesus saying, that's baloney, baloney. You are of deep value. Some of you, it's beyond gender. There's all kinds of intersectionality in this story and in our own lives things that intertwine about who we are and what we are and the decisions that we made or decisions people made for us that cause us to feel great shame, shame that we carry deep into our lives, even if we were not the cause of it. Hear the words of Jesus. I am the anointed one that is telling you, you are deeply valued, you are deeply loved. Start building your life on that because that is the truth. That is the well of eternal life. And when you start to taste of that, (laughs) you'll get through anything. You'll get through anything because it'll never let you down. Doesn't mean there won't be hard times, but it means the more you walk in this stream, the more you allow it to overflow into your life, the more you feed off of it, the more you recognize how connected you are to something that has given you life in the first place. Uh, A part of life that never goes away. The stuff that Mary Oliver was talking about in Jenny's meditation. That you're more connected and you can't not be. But the more deeply you root yourself in this, the deeper you go in that well, drawing deeper and deeper water. (laughs) You find it can't ever run dry. You're of deep, Deep value. I want to shift gears a second, and I want to shift not not solely focused on the woman and what happened for her, and I hope what happens for you when you embrace this reality and start building your life on that, but as fellow Jesus followers, what do we learn from Jesus here about what we're called to do and to be? There is a uh, tradition in our faith tradition that's been uh, loud and proud for uh, about 130 years or so depending when you count the clock or when the clock starts. Uh, A tradition that wants to view um, the world and the the role of the church as simply to talk about heaven and how to get there. Uh, This uh, major turn, uh, a shift from the mission of Jesus, literally started in the 1930s Uh, and it was a partnership Uh, between uh, politicians and religious leaders. Uh, And the politicians wanted uh, religion to back off of social issues, the world's problems, because clergy and seminary professors and rabbis were making a lot of noise in America. Uh, And they made so much noise about the problems that they were seeing, about child labor, about uh, women's labor issues, that they actually got things done. And the government actually listened to them and put in protections in the law uh, so that children uh, wouldn't be abused and women wouldn't be abused. They had to be sneaky about how they did it, but it's because of religious leaders uh, that those changes happened. But some of the people, some of the politicians, wanted the church to stay in their lane. And there were some church leaders at that time they were more than willing to pick up that lane and make it the only lane. And that grew into an understanding of Christianity, like I said, which is just about you getting your sins forgiven so that God will welcome you one day into heaven. I'll just submit this to you. Again, we'll look at a passage uh, later on that uh, will make this clear. In fact, next week uh, we'll make this clear. Um, could it be that the grace of God is so profound and so rich and so broad that you were already forgiven before you even knew you needed to ask for it? You know that's what happened with the woman who was caught in adultery, who the Jewish leaders wanted uh, Jesus to make a decision, are we gonna stone her or not? And Jesus' action here and and telling her that she was already forgiven, do you know how incredibly uh, forward that was? and how risky it was. You know that story that for some of you is your favorite story almost didn't make the Gospel of John because Jesus made it clear that she was forgiven before she asked for it, before she said, I'm sorry, before she said, I made a lot of mistakes. Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. Go live a new life. Could it be that the whole point of faith is not to try to appease an angry God upstairs, but is to welcome the very presence of a loving Abba right here, right now, and to live as if it's true because it is all of a sudden a lot more comes online than just heaven and I I don't mean to minimize heaven it's good to have hope for something more than this but don't you realize you don't have to wait and don't you realize that the more you take advantage of following Jesus right now the more confidence it gives you about what's to come that if the only thing you've got is that when you were in fourth grade you said yes to Jesus and you wrote it in your Bible so now you know you're going to heaven that that is not gonna carry you through your darkest hour But if you are walking in an abiding relationship with God, where you are experiencing God showing up in your life, you don't worry about tomorrow because you're already living in it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's more here. This is what I think the great news of Jesus is, to get rid of the transactional thinking and to embrace this bold idea that God's grace and presence is already present for us to build our lives on. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, it's not just about me, myself, and I, about making sure that my spirituality is okay and that I've got inner peace, but it turns its gaze to all of the Samarias of the world and all of the Samaritans therein and says, when I see people, who are not being treated fairly or well or inhumanely in any way, we go. We go because they need to hear that they're loved. Even in our country right now, there are people who want to pile on the shame toward other human beings even in very churched areas of our country. My question is, where are the Jesus followers who have to go through Samaria and sit at the well, not with condemnation and shame, but with love and grace to dignify the humanity that is there before him? How can we do that? How can we do that? Well, just asking the question is a start. And dealing with our own attitude is a great next step. My challenge for you, uh, just in terms of this Jesus stuff, is the next time you hear about a particularly hot issue, and usually those issues are not hard to understand because they're all over the news all the time, they're the political talking points that we see, and especially the ones that deal with fellow human beings our neighbors all over our United States or globally, and you hear about one that kind of makes you back up a little bit, like, I don't know about those people, I just want you to sit with that for a minute and allow that phrase, do some homework on yourself about why am I thinking about those people as those people? And start wondering, if I was Jesus and I know I had those people in front of me, what would be my approach? Would it be to be emboldened and try to win the argument? Is that the way that Jesus chose to go? Or is there a weakness of God approach that is stronger than the greatest human strength? Could it be that listening, empathy, understanding, being open to the other story might just change our perspective? It might actually allow a conversation where we can say to somebody, especially who's been hurt by church, there's another story, and it's far more beautiful. I spoke at Congregation Beth Shalom uh, this past Friday night, uh, sort of a return of the favor because Niles was here, Rabbi Niles was here uh, in the summer when I was on uh, uh, sabbatical. And uh, so I went back to do it, and uh, I want to say a couple good things uh, for you. One is that um, to a person, everybody, everybody in that synagogue loves crosswalk. <laughs> because we are trying to do as a church uh, what we have understood Jesus doing, which is not to hold back here and hope people come in, but to open our doors, to go out there and do it. And that night, um, when I was talking, there was a person uh, who grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, she didn't tell me what happened, but at age 12, something happened and she became an atheist. I can guess. And she found that there was a different story. And that gave her hope. How many people are like her? How many Samaritan women need to be loved, need to be valued, and who but Jesus followers to do it? So, Samaritan woman, know that you have hope, that you are deeply loved and valued. So, Jesus followers, realize that the powerful faith that you so longly, long, long, longingly desire, the kind of satori experience that you hope will have is not going to happen because you sat in a prayer closet and did nothing for the world. But it is when you enter into the world and be as Jesus to the world that you begin to see the kingdom come. So we get to it. Uh, woman that we need to remember. Uh, this is uh, St. Teresa of Avila. Just so happens today in the Center for Action and Contemplation's uh, daily newsletter that they featured her. And uh, the story on her was uh, she went into uh, a Carmelite um, convent and went, that was when she was 20. In her first 20 years, she kind of really liked the outside world and really struggled uh, being uh, in a convent where she didn't get iPads and stuff (laughs) or something like that the creature comforts and all that so uh, but something shifted in her and around age 40 it's like I think she connected the dots about what the message is that it has never been about transactions about trying to appease God but it's been about transformation who are we becoming and she was transformed and she also began to realize that her work in life her, her role in life was not to just sit in a convent and pray but to actually do something for the world around her. So she helped start 17 more convents and encourage more people to get involved because she understood that it's contemplation, very important, with action, also very important, that creates the full meal deal. Remember, belief is not just about mental ascent, but it's what we do with our life, it's what we do with our passion. That's what brings eternal life about. That's what she discovered. That's why she's called a doctor of the church. And I want us to uh, utter her prayer today after we take just a few moments of silence. So, first, before we do this, I uh, want you to close your eyes uh, with me and just deep, breathe deeply for a moment. And I'm wondering, on both uh, frames, first, the Samaritan woman, How do you relate to her? Is there a part of your life that you rejoice with her because you too have heard that you are a person of great value, that the things that you thought were so horrible that God could never forgive you, that you realize that that was a lie and that you are deeply valued and loved by God and you can now love yourself and build a life around that? Is there a part of you that resonates with that part of her story or are you still carried around shame? Are you still walking alone to the well in the heat of the day, maybe just a part of your life? How do you relate to the Samaritan woman? Will you hear? Will you allow yourself to hear? that you are worthy. You're worthy. You're beloved. Nothing's ever going to change that. God touch hearts today. Touch wounds. Wounds from words that have been said. Actions that have been taken that hurt. Cultural messaging that devalues, objectifies. May we hear your still small voice say, we are loved. my fellow Jesus followers knowing that our Jesus is the one who had to go through Samaria and the spirit of God is still having to go through all of the Samarias in the world to have conversation respectful conversation redemptive conversation what's your message It's a get-to thing, by the way, it's not a have-to. It's a get-to. You get to partake of the very living water that Jesus was talking about, that you can't get navel-gazing. You get to go into Samaria with the Spirit of God. Who is your Samaritan? What are you sensing the Spirit calling you to do? God, help us have the courage to take on your weakness in deference to the greatest strength that humanity can muster. May we choose humility. MAY WE SEEK IT AS WE RESTORE AND REDEEM. NOW, CONGREGATION, IF YOU'LL JOIN ME IN uh, HONORING TERESA AND STEALING HER LINES FOR OUR OWN PRAYER TODAY. LORD, GRANT THAT I MAY ALWAYS ALLOW MYSELF TO BE GUIDED BY YOU, ALWAYS FOLLOW YOUR PLANS, AND PERFECTLY ACCOMPLISH YOUR HOLY WILL grant that in all things great and small today and all the days of my life I may do whatever you require of me help me respond to the slightest prompting of your grace so that I may be your trustworthy instrument for your honor may your will be done in time and in eternity by me in me and through me amen thank you so much for coming today hope you had a good experience we'll see you next week